Hi, my name is Steve Thomas, lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged as together we open God's Word and consider how it applies to our lives. Well, today we continue our series called Sent. We've been walking through the book of Mark and we've been looking at how Jesus functioned and what he did. And now we get to the place in Mark where Jesus begins to expand his ministry by actually giving some of his power to his disciples and saying, go out and do what I have done. Go out and and do what you've seen me do. He's expanded his ministry twelvefold by telling his disciples, go out and share this message that I've been sharing. I'm going to give you power over evil spirits, and I'm going to give you power to do some miracles. It's going to be awesome. And uh, so there's these four weeks we're going to talk about what it means to be sent by Jesus. Today we're going to talk about the risk. Next we're going to be talking about what we have to give. And the follow the last week, uh, the first week of December, we're going to talk about the power of Jesus even in the storm as we are sent. So today we want to talk about risk. And I wonder, do you assess risk before you do something? Do you think about, is this going to be worth the risk? You may say, well, I need to travel over the holidays, so should I fly or should I drive? And you may think, you know, when I'm driving, I'm safer than when I'm going 500 miles an hour, 30,000 feet above the earth. It's got to be safer, right? But it's not, is it? Statistics would tell us that you are 85 times more likely to die in an auto accident than you are to die in an airplane. 85 times. Also, you may think, well, when I go to the beach, am I safer in the water or I'm afraid I'm going to get bitten by a shark? Anybody afraid of that? You ever have that fear? Anybody ever see a shark? Anybody ever been bitten by a shark? No one in this room has been bitten by a shark. Okay. Well, which is more risky? To walk around in a thunderstorm and risk getting struck by lightning or to get bitten by a shark? Both. (laughs) You're actually 20 times more likely to get struck by lightning as you are to get bitten by a shark. So what you don't want to do is be out in the ocean when there's a lightning storm, because then you got, you're probably going to absolutely get wiped off the face of the earth. But we, we do kind of do that, don't we? We kind of evaluate risk. Is this worth the risk? My good friend Kevin Mahoney, who's been flying our supplies to the Bahamas, he's a private pilot, and he has his own plane. As I shared last week, it makes me nervous a little bit to get in that plane. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really safe, but he thinks it's wonderful. He thinks it's the greatest thing in the world to be able to fly your own plane somewhere and land it. I don't get it, personally. That's not enough payoff, you know, for the risk, because I would forget to do something. I just know it. I would forget I wouldn't have the landing gear down. Something would happen, you know, and we'd just come skating in. It'd be terrible. But we do. We evaluate risk, and we evaluate reward. This is what your financial advisor hopefully does for you. You know, if you want to have more reward, you're probably going to have to take more risk. Well, one time I took a really bad risk, and uh, it was in the country of Jamaica, which we'll have an update next week. Um, It's not Jamaica's fault. Um, We'll have an update on our church next week. But I I thought that it would be a really good idea to jump off of this cliff in Jamaica. 
Anybody ever done this? Jamaicans over there? You've done it. You've done it. Gina's done it. She can tell you. Um, there's this place where you can actually, Shanna, you've done it? You haven't? Okay. Um, Juliet, you've done it? You haven't done it? Okay. Uh, it's at a place called Rick's. And it's, it's, either, it's somewhere between 35 and 200 feet to the water. Somewhere in that range. I'm not sure exactly. But I thought it was a good idea to jump into the ocean off this cliff. And I thought this risk is worth the reward of, of the thrill of doing it. Or at least being able to say that you've done it. No. I hurt for so long after that. Because it turns out you need to land a certain way. And I may not have had the ideal body type for this. I'm just saying. I hit with more of a thud than a knife going in. At any rate, the risk was not worth the reward. It really wasn't that much fun. And other than having a good sermon illustration, it really didn't pay off. Which is how I live my life, to find sermon illustrations. So it's probably why I did it. When we think of risk and reward, when we think of the gospel message, when we think of being sent by Jesus, there's a risk. There's an incredible reward in heaven, but there is a risk. And if you haven't thought about this, you probably have actually thought about it, and it's maybe in the back of your mind. If I'm going to be sent by Jesus, what might it cost me? What might the risk be to my life? What might the risk be to my relationships? What might the risk be to my social standing? What might the risk be in my community? What might it cost me? It's important for us to look at this risk before we do, I, I want to make something really clear. Understand, the worst thing that can happen to you, the worst thing that can happen to you if you represent Jesus well, is that they kill you and you wind up in heaven. You say, well, that's pretty extreme, Steve. I don't know if I... Listen, if you believe what you say you believe, I want to set the tone. If you believe what you say you believe, the risk is actually very small. It's, very, it's almost negligible because our lives are so short compared to eternity. I want us to get that in our heads because we are so present-day focused, typically. And we're so afraid of what might happen and who might say what and who might be offended. Listen, there's nothing like the reward in heaven on earth. There is nothing you can give up that will be worth what you have in heaven. The risk is really negligible, but it is real, and we need to deal with it. So look with me, Mark chapter 6, and I forgot my glasses, but I think I can read. Um, Mark chapter 6, are they there, babe? Thank you, darling. This is Thomas, is here today. Give her a round of applause. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> Pastor's wife extraordinaire. Mark chapter 6, she tells me I should get glasses I should wear all the time. What do you think? Should I? You all look exactly the same with or without the glasses on. So, Mark chapter 6, verse 17. And, and Mark does this a lot where he starts to tell a story, and before he actually completes the story, he puts in another story that's sandwiched in between in order to, so both of them are better illustrated and are more vivid. And so he's just sent his disciples out, and he's told them, go. 
and go to a village, and if you're, if you're rejected, if they won't receive you, if they won't hear you, then leave and shake off the dust of your feet against them as a testimony that they have rejected Christ, basically. And so, so uh, he's sending them out, and you're going to experience some difficulty, some rejection. So before they come back and report what happens, he tells them the story of John the Baptist getting his head chopped off. Think about that. If you're listening to this story and you're a disciple back in the day, right? Back when Mark is writing this. Well, actually, he sent his disciples out. Oh, and by, by the way, while they're out there, let me just tell you what happened to John. He gets beheaded. It's interesting. He does this so that we understand there is risk, but there is also incredible reward. So look with me at chapter 7 of Mark, second gospel account of Jesus, verse 14. The Bible says, Then... King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. It's a really interesting way to talk about John and what's happening. There's been this groundswell, this explosion really of activity as Jesus has sent his disciples out. He's multiplied his ministry by 12, and his name is becoming well-known. A lot's happening. And so people start to speculate, who is this guy? There was an anticipation of someone like Elijah would come before the Messiah, and so there's a thought that maybe this is him. There's a thought that someone's been raised from the dead, and that, that there's it's one of the old prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, someone like that um, is happening. And there's a sense of, my goodness, this is incredible. And Herod begins to take notice who's the king of the area at the time, meaning he is essentially the governor or the ruler of Israel set up by Rome. Now, it's important to know that Herod is not a Jew. Herod is from Idumea, which is the land of Edom, which comes from uh, Esau. So that's, he is, he is of Abraham, but he is not of the children of Israel. If you know your Old Testament history, you know what that means. But essentially, he is not one of God's people, but he is ruling God's people for the, uh, the Roman government. And it says that Herod says, I think this is John, that I, the guy I beheaded, which is really an interesting idea. Why would he think it was John? Was it because they were doing miracles? Because Jesus was doing all these miracles. He was calming the storm. He was, he was healing people. He was casting out demons. And the, his disciples were going out. They were casting out demons. They were healing people. But there isn't any evidence that John did this. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great preacher. His message was repent, right? Make way. Make way. The Messiah is coming. John's ministry was not that he was what he was doing miracles this wasn't what John did which is really interesting so it wasn't the fact that John did miracles and the disciples did miracles it was the disciples talked about repentance and John talked about repentance uh, Mark 6 12 go ahead to that um, slide this is what the disciples said so they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent and Mark 1.4 talks about what John was doing. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So they, were, they had the same message, and Herod put those two together. So here's my question. 
does your message match that of Jesus? You see, John spoke a message of repentance looking forward to Jesus and being a forerunner of Jesus. The disciples looked at Jesus and said, this is his message, we're going to proclaim that. We look back at Jesus and say, this is his message, this message of repentance. They're all connected. And Herod connected John with Jesus' disciples because of the message of repentance. So, if we are sent, the first question is, does my message match that of Jesus? Does the message of my life match that of Jesus? You see, we give all kinds of messages off, don't we? Well, I'm an American. Okay, great. I'm a Floridian, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Gator fan. I'm, I'm a this kind of person. I'm that kind of person. Let me ask you a question. What is the message of your life? For church people, all too often the message is, hey, we're mad that you guys don't live like us. So one of the biggest detriments to the spread of the gospel is angry Christians, I have to tell you. I can't believe you're not living like we want you to. That's not the message of Christ. What's the message? It's repentance. That's the message. Very simply put, Jesus, Mark 1.15, we say this just about every week. Jesus came saying what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news of God. That's, we have this incredible opportunity to say, oh, I just need to agree with God. That I'm a sinner? I just need to agree to God with God that I'm wrong? I just need to repent and turn from my sin and ask Him to, to forgive me? That's what I, yeah, that's what you need to do. Yet never underestimate people's resistance to that. The message is the message of repentance. Is that the message of my life? I want people to know that whatever you're into, whatever you've done, however far you've gone, the message of Jesus is available to you. Simply repent. And let the blood of Jesus cover your sin. So does your message match Jesus? Secondly, what about your method? What about your method? Let's look at the story a little bit further. And let's see what, how John apparently goes about this way of sharing the message of Jesus and forerunning Jesus. Herod says, I think it's John whom I beheaded. Verse 17 continues. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. Get this. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. It's a really interesting paragraph about how John operated. It says that, that he had seized him, he had put him in prison, and that his wife Herodias wanted him to kill John the Baptist right away. And the reason she wanted him to kill him was simply this, that John the Baptist had been telling Herod, listen, it's not lawful for you to have this woman. 
Wow, that's something you just can't say, can you? I mean, our culture today, the one thing you cannot say is you can't talk about someone's marriage, whether it's right or not. You can't talk about their sexual preference. You can't talk about anything that really is about them when it comes to marriage or sexual practice or anything like that. But John does because John is preaching a message of repentance. And you can kind of imagine how this might have gone. First of all, Herodias was married to to Herod's brother, Philip, and um, apparently Herod and his wife went to visit uh, Philip and Herodias because that was the clan of Herod. That's why they had this kind of form of the name Herod. And what happened was they went to a house guest, and you can imagine Herod and Herodias apparently got together, fell in love, divorced each other, divorced their spouses, and got together and married each other. And the way the grammar is here, it says that John had been telling him, and there's a sense that he told him over a period of time, other than not just one time, wasn't like just a text message or one conversation, he had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. Now this is something that if you're John, you're probably thinking, don't say that. Don't say that, that's a terrible thing to say, don't say that. But understand what John's message was, it was a message of repentance. So if you're Herod, you're thinking, okay, so I need to repent. What do I need to repent of, John? It sounds like they probably knew each other, quite honestly, quite well. These may have been private conversations. What do I really need to repent of, John? John says, well, let me start with this. You shouldn't have your brother's wife, first of all. But there's good news, Herod. You can repent of that. There's good news. So let me just tell you today, if you have a marital issue, you have, you have made some serious mistakes in relationships, there is good news for you. There's repentance in Jesus Christ, right? You're not a second-class citizen. There's opportunity for you to be pure before the Lord. So John is sharing this message with Herod. And Herodias wants him dead because why? Well, if... Herod listens to John, and if he should repent, and he should put her away and divorce her or set her, whatever he does, her, her, her role as queen is over. So she wants John dead. But Herod doesn't. And look what he says about John. I hope this could be said about us. It says this in verse 20, For Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. If you're going to be sent to bear the message of Jesus, first of all, our message needs to match Jesus and our method needs to mirror or reflect Jesus. And what John does is he presents himself in such a way and has such a life that Herod respects him. His life backs up his message. His life backs up the message of repentance by being a righteous and holy man. Not a perfect man, but someone who is known as righteous and holy. He's not a hypocrite. He's not nasty and angry toward Herod. He's simply speaking the truth. He is a righteous and a holy man. And some of you might be saying, well, you know, Steve, I have a hard time being sent by Jesus because there's stuff in my life that I think if people knew about, well, there shouldn't be that stuff in your life, first of all. You're not living a perfect life, you're living a what? A repentant life, right? 
doesn't mean you don't ever mess up. It just means I had to live a repentant life where I come before the Lord when I sin and I repent of my sin. I turn. I don't want to be that way. That's how we're called to live, right? And incidentally, repentant people's life should become more holy, amen? Because if I really want to change, I'm asking God to take that away from me, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I, I, I should be pursuing what he made me to be and recovering from what I used to be. It's a beautiful thing. Herod sees John, this one he could kill just with a stroke of the pen or just one, one command. He sees him as a righteous and holy man, and he wants to keep him safe. But also, not only does he see his life back up the message, but his life also communicates in a compelling way. Look at verse 20. It says that when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. What that means is he was at a loss. I don't get it. I don't get what you're saying. I don't want to understand it. I'm wrestling with it. I'm trying to get it. I can't quite figure it out. It doesn't fit with what I've heard, what I've learned. I don't understand this message of repentance, John. And I don't understand who this person is that you're looking forward to. I, I don't get it. My mind is blown, if you will. But he heard him gladly. So the life has to back up the message. And the message needs to be communicated in a compelling manner. You see, Jesus... I mean, uh, Herod is hearing him, and he's hearing him. He wants to hear him some more. You see, when you talk to people, you're not trying to win a debate. You're trying to continue a conversation, right? I, I, want, you to, I want to continue to talk. I want to continue to share. Some of you have been on those kinds of, of journeys where you've had people talk to you for a long time, and Herod is apparently at least listening, and he doesn't hate John. He likes to hear him. Let me ask you, when you talk to people who are far from God, do they like to talk to you? Or honestly, are you just annoying? Or are you just bothering people? You're just constantly judgmental. You're just constantly rude. You're just constantly talking about how great you are. Or are you saying, listen, I want to hear about your life. Let me share with you the message of Jesus over time in love, wanting them to receive that gift of repentance. Or are you just trying to prove your point? I love the fact that John's method had to mirror Jesus because he constantly did this. Yeah, he was tough on the Pharisees and so was John. He was tough on the prideful and so was Jesus. And John were the same. When it came to the humble, when it came to those far from him, when it came to those who really didn't have a clue... Jesus and John and Paul also all spoke in the same way, trying to under, help them understand. Remember, I think it was Festus that said, almost you persuadest me in Acts to, be, to follow Jesus. Almost, almost. The message needs to match Jesus. The method needs to mirror Jesus. And we need to be ready to accept the fate of Jesus. We need to embrace the this is where we stop, a lot of us. Well, I got the message right. I want the message. But you know what? I, I really, I don't think I can pick up my cross and follow him. I, I want to live a good life. I want to live a, a healthy life. I want to live a life where I'm liked and respected. No, he, see, John and Jesus both took the risk. And let's look and see what happens here in verse 21. 
So Herodias wants him dead. Verse 21 says, But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went, and she said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately and with haste to the king and asked him, saying, I want you to give uh, to me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, who said the Bible didn't have good stories? Amen. And the king was exceedingly sorry. And because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And similar to Jesus, doesn't it, with his disciples putting him in a tomb. It's a sad story. It's a story of pride. Herod had heard the message, but he clearly hadn't received the message. When it came down to it, what he, how he looked in front of his friends and those who worked for him were more important than John the Baptist. He wouldn't stand up for John the Baptist. He'd made a foolish remark to exhibit how powerful he was to a girl that probably aroused a lot of things in him that shouldn't be aroused probably a lot of alcohol involved, he makes a foolish promise. And he takes John the Baptist's head. The message was worth dying for for John. It was not a message you would, you would share with someone who wasn't worth dying for, who could kill you, right? John could take his life. The message was worth dying for. Let me ask you a question. Is the message worth dying for? Some people will say, well, you know what? If I had to choose Jesus or an execution if, if for me to renounce Jesus, I, I know I would accept Jesus. I know I would say, no, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm not going to die. Let me ask you, it's, a lot of people think that, but let me ask you, is there any evidence of that in your life? Is there in your life any sacrifice at all for him? Is there anything you're doing right now that would say, I put Jesus as my number one and I would absolutely never renounce his name? Is there? Or any there is. When it comes to, am I involved in his body, his local church? Is there commitment? Is there sacrifice? When it comes to sharing his message, am I able to do that even in a very non-threatening setting? Is there evidence that you would choose Jesus even if it cost you your life? When it comes to giving, as we talked about earlier, is he worth it? Am I giving in a way that says, I trust you, Jesus, with everything? If you don't trust him with your finances, I'm not sure you're going to trust him with your life. It's interesting. When someone goes in the military or becomes a first responder, They're saying, I'm accepting the risk. I know that some of the people that I train with probably will not make it through. 
If you're in the military, some of your friends didn't come home. If you're a first responder, you know of police officers, firefighters who died in the line of duty, protecting their community. You accept the risk. And you don't just say you're going to accept the risk, do you? You actually show up for basic training or for the police academy or the fire academy. You actually get some training. You actually show up and put yourself in the line of fire. You actually do what it takes. You put on the uniform. Why? Because you are willing to accept the risk. You don't want to die, but you're willing to put yourself in the place of danger for the sake of your community or your country. Same is true for the cause of Christ. Have you received any training to share the gospel? Have you received any training to represent Jesus? Are you showing up as a part of his body? Oh, I want to encourage you today. Make that commitment to do that. See, we train people all the time to do this, and we're going to be having a new class start in January to teach people this is how you make disciples. We've done this before. Some of you have been a part of it. You're going to be asked to be a part of it again. To How do I represent him? You're just showing up on Sunday morning occasionally. It's not really evidence that Jesus Christ is worth dying for. Sometimes people get disconnected. And they've been kind of coming to church for a long time. Maybe they've been following Christ somewhat. They really don't feel like anything's happening. And this is what happens when we really say, you know what, I'm not really willing to take any risk or make any commitment to Jesus. And we kind of become like our, like our internet modem is today. If you're trying to get online, you're not going to be able to. Because our internet modem has decided that it can no longer talk to the internet. And it's disconnected. Maybe this has happened to you. And you've got to go reset it. Well, we've reset it and it's dead. But it's still sending signal out. And it looks like you have the internet until you try to do something. Until you actually try to connect. Let me tell you this. When you say yes to Jesus and yes, I want to accept and embrace the risk. And I want my message of my life to match Jesus. When I want the method of my life to mirror Jesus, when I want to accept the risk of being his disciple and being sent by him, his power starts to move through you because that's the power of belief. That says, I really believe. And I want you, Jesus, I want you, Jesus, to work through me. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If this message spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or on social media. Just tag us at First Baptist Del Rey. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to fbcdelray.com. Hope to see you again next time. God bless.